Today we continue in our gospel series to a passage that you have you've probably read before. You've probably maybe even heard a sermon on before or a Bible study or it's a pretty popular story when it comes to the gospels and you know as we go through the gospels we're going to we're going to land on these stories obviously that are probably a little better known. Uh, if you would nod along or raise a hand how many people have heard a sermon or a Bible study on this and the point was that Jesus calms the storms in your life. Yeah. Does Jesus calm the storms in our lives? Yes. Is this passage, is that what this passage is about? No. This isn't about that at all. Jesus can and will calm the storms of our lives, absolutely. That's not what this passage is about. And when we make this passage about that, to excuse my language, we neuter it. We take its power away. This, this passage is about something much bigger than just Jesus calming the storms in our lives. We have a great way of making everything about us. We're good at it. And that's what we take this passage and we make it be. How can this passage benefit me? Jesus calms the storms of my life. Can he calm the storms of our lives? Of course. That's not what this passage is about at all. So what I'm hoping for is that today you're going to hear something. Probably not new. You probably, I'm hoping you know it already. But you're going to hear something about this passage that is more important than just Jesus calming the storms of your life or my life. And so we begin in, in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew and mostly Mark today. This story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels. But we're going to, Mark's version is my favorite, so we're going to use Mark's version. We begin with where we picked off from the parables last week. And it says this, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. So Jesus Moving on, he's going somewhere else. This is where he's going. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. The lake, of course, is a reference to the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee isn't an actual sea. It is actually a lake, right? It's not a sea. Um, so what were happening is Jesus is getting, getting, going to get into a boat and cross over to a different province, if you will, different area, different region of the Sea of Galilee. He's been in Galilee, and now that's going to change. And so the way he decides this time to move across is by boat. Often he'll, they'll go on foot, this time by boat. Remember, nothing with God is a coincidence. So just keep that in mind, that Jesus has them all get into this boat because he knows what's about to happen, right? I want to show you, you switched the slide for me, Gina, the thing's being, the clicker's being funny. The Sea of Galilee. So the first one on the left, obviously, is a modern satellite image of the Sea of Galilee. Like I told you before, the Sea of Galilee is not a sea. It's a lake. We would refer to it as a lake. It's fresh water. It is about 160 feet below sea level. So it is actually the lowest freshwater lake on earth, right, on the entire earth. And it is surrounded. It's kind of hard to tell on, on the satellite picture, but it's surrounded mostly by some pretty steep, pretty steep hills. And that matters because of what we have today, right? We're going to have a storm as they're in, on the Sea of Galilee. We're going to have a storm hit them. The storms can come on the Sea of Galilee rather quickly because to the west, over this way, is the Mediterranean, and over to the east is a desert. And so storms can come from both directions and cause the, 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 the lake, the Sea of Galilee, to get rather violent, five to six-foot swells all day long. The problem is they come like that. 
And because of the hills, you can't always see them coming. Because initially, when we're going to read this story today, you're going to think to yourself, well, weren't a bunch of these guys fishermen? Shouldn't they know when a storm is going to hit the Sea of Galilee? Right? That's what they do for a living is they fish on the Sea of Galilee. No, it's not easy to predict a storm when it hits. It comes off the ocean or it comes off the desert and it hits. So when it comes off of the Mediterranean, the, the wind generally blows, obviously, from west to east. And when it comes from the desert, east to west. This map is what the region would have looked like during the time of Jesus. And so Jesus had been in the region of Galilee. And so when he says that they're going to go across the lake, all he means is they're going to go to a different region. So either Bethsaida or the area of the Decapolis. Now we know because of the story that comes next that they end up right here. So they're leaving from the province of Galilee heading across the lake. This is what the story says. We're going to go to the Mark version. It's in Matthew 8, Mark 4, and Luke 8. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So when we teach this passage that it's about calming the storms in our lives, we, we, we just read the first part, and we leave all the other part out. So it's evening time. The wind on the Sea of Galilee, because of the way the land and water cools and warms, in the morning time, the wind comes from the sea, works itself out. In the evening time, it comes from the land and works itself towards the middle of the lake. It's thermal cooling and heating. The storm is going to hit them in evening time, and this storm is going to be serious enough that you have at least four men who are experienced fishermen who hit the panic button. So this is not just a little storm that's rocking the boat back and forth. When this storm hits, it hits. And it hits in a way in which they are worried that the boat is going to do what? It's going to sink. Now, we have, I'm going to go to it, we have a pretty cool archaeological find. This boat was found in the mud in 1986 in the Sea of Galilee by two brothers. This boat is dated to the time of Jesus. It was made probably between 50 B.C. and 30 A.D., somewhere in there. So this is a boat that is a good representation of a boat that possibly Jesus could have been in. This boat is 27 feet long and seven and a half feet wide. It had four places for men to row and also had a sail. Right? If you can catch the wind, why would you row? This is a boat. This is obviously just at the bottom of the boat. But remember, the boat's 2,000 years old. So if any boat we make today makes 2,000 years, it would be a, a miracle, right? Not, never going to happen. This boat, is too, it was found in the mud. It, it painstakingly 
lifted it out of the mud. They kept it in wax for years before they could figure out how to display it. So this boat's been very well preserved. This is the bottom of the boat, obviously. It's a flat-bottom boat, which means you can get what? In a flat-bottom boat, what can you do? Right onto the shore, right? This is the bottom of the boat. 27 feet long, 7.5 feet wide. Gives us an idea of what boats looked like in the time of Jesus. When the storm hits, they can't fire the motor up. Head for safety, right? When the storm hits, what happens? If the sail was up, which assuming it probably was, the sail gets dropped instantly, and those four men are real important all of a sudden, right? Because it's their job to keep on keeping on while everybody else is trying to make sure the boat doesn't sink. And in our story, what's happening? A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The storm hits, and Jesus is unfazed. Keeps on taking a nap. While everybody else has gone to work. And remember, these, there are some on this boat that are very experienced on the Sea of Galilee. They know what to do. Okay, the storm has hit. Drop the sail. Let's get to work. Let's get to shore before this boat sinks and we all die. Jesus is asleep as all the action is happening. And they get frustrated enough that they finally say something. And their response is, Jesus, wake up. And when he does, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Well, he probably cares because he's also on the boat, right? So they're panicked. And sometimes when we're panicked, when fear sets in, we do and say things that we would never do or say otherwise. It's like, no, he, he, he should have just said, no, nope, no, nope, bring this thing to the bottom. Of the, I could care less, right? Let's just, let's, I'm tired. You guys are driving me crazy. Let's just put this thing on the bottom of the Sea of Galilee and be done with it. Of course he cares. But remember, he's a teacher. And even in a storm, he's going to teach. Jesus gets up, rebukes the wind, and says to the waves, Quiet, be still, and it works. I wouldn't suggest you try this because it won't work for you. But it works for Jesus. And this is where the meat of this sermon is. We focus on this part, verse 35 through 38. This is where we should focus. 39 through 41. Next storm that comes, don't even have to go on, don't even go on a Manstrick Reservoir, don't go on a boat, just stand out in your backyard and when the wind starts up, you tell it to stop and you tell me what happens. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. It's not going to do anything. It's not going to change. See, the point of the sermon isn't about Jesus calming the storms of your life. The point of the sermon, the point of this text is, Jesus is God. That's the point. When we make it about Jesus calms the storms in our lives, we, we neuter it. We take the, the power away from the story. Jesus put them in the boat knowing a storm is coming. He knows the storm is coming because he's God. This isn't, oh, we're panicked, Jesus, please save us. Jesus is going, no, 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 I, I, this, was a, this was a test. You guys failed. Jesus can rebuke the wind and the waves and tell them to stop because he isn't a human being. 
Because he's God in the flesh. And that's what we miss in the story when we make it about us, about Jesus calming the storms in my life and your life. Jesus is making a declaration in this moment to his disciples, the closest among him, of who he is. Now, he's already done things that are godlike. He's healed people. He's cast demons out. He's done all those. But this is one more statement for him to, the closest, to his closest followers of who he is, just in case they've forgotten, just in case they're unsure. And we know that, that there's some doubt there, that they're not quite sure who he is. They're not grasping the fullness of who Jesus is based on their response. Jesus asked them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no some of faith? Do you still not trust me? I put you in the boat. I'll make sure you get to the other side. Their response is what? Rightfully so, by the way. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. It's an important question that we all have to ask, by the way, in our lives sometime about this Jesus, is who is he? Who is he? They know the answer, ladies and gentlemen. They're, not, they're making the realization, aren't they? And in this moment, that this, this person on this boat with them, who is just sleeping through the storm, isn't just like them. He isn't just a man. He's something far greater. They are putting the pieces together that, wait a second, if the wind and the waves obey him, it's time to pay attention and listen. It's a Moses-like moment, isn't it? If you think back to the story of Exodus, and those of you who have been here for a long time, we went through the entire book of Exodus. The Gospels are easier than the book of Exodus. I, mean, I love the book of Exodus, but there's some parts there that can kind of get hard to go through. We did it. We survived it, right? But one of those exciting points in the book of Exodus is what? There's this bush that's on fire. You remember? As Moses is out there being a shepherd, guiding his sheep around, doing what he does, comes to this bush that is on fire but not being consumed. He thinks to himself, huh, I've watched firework before. This isn't normal. Normally the wood burns when it's on fire. And as he approaches the, this bush, what happens? A voice comes to him and tells him what? Moses, hang on there, scooter. Take your shoes off. Why? The ground you're standing on is holy ground. What makes it holy? Yeah, God's there. I'm sure they didn't figure this out. If, even, if Their shoes are probably overboard by now, right? But in this moment, the disciples should be kicking shoes off, right? Getting rid of the flip-flops. Because where they're sitting and standing on that boat is holy ground. Because God is literally with them on that boat. That's what this is about. It's not about calming the storms of your life or my life. It's about who Jesus is. The great Christian philosopher C.S. Lewis told us that you have to make up your mind about this Jesus. That he's either a liar, either a lunatic, or he's Lord. Those are your three options. No more options. He, he either lies, he, he's either insane, thinks he's something he isn't, or he is who he says he is. And the disciples are having a moment here where they go, 
whoa, uh, who is this? See, for some Jewish people, they thought the Messiah would be a political leader that would lead them back to freedom. Freedom from the yoke of Roman oppression. So for some of the disciples still, they're probably struggling with the fact that Jesus is bigger than just that. That Jesus' mission isn't just to lead them to physical freedom, but it's greater. It's to lead them to a spiritual freedom. To freedom from sin. And freedom from death. Not all the disciples are getting that at this moment in time. This this storm on the Sea of Galilee and on this boat is a lesson for each of them. For them to decide who this Jesus is. Remember, they're pretty well versed in the Old Testament, right? They're Jewish people. They know it fairly well. And I wonder if some of them, or maybe one of them on that boat, if old Psalm 107 maybe came to mind for just a moment. Probably once things settled down, right? Not in the middle of it. Psalm 109, or excuse me, 107, beginning of verse 23, says this. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. Verse 29 tell us that God can and will do. Control even the mightiest of things. And that is the waves of the sea. And in this moment, as Jesus has just stilled and calmed a storm on the Sea of Galilee, his disciples are experiencing verse 39 in flesh and blood, aren't they? He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. There's another element to the story that's really important for what we're going to talk about next week. Is for some Jewish people, they believed that water wasn't just water. That the chaoticness of water had led them to believe that that's where spirits dwelled. And so if you add that layer into the story, that it isn't just nature, the storm that Jesus is controlling, but he is conquering the, both the physical but also the spiritual. It adds another depth to it, doesn't it? And if you think about water, and, and I don't know about you, I like to swim in water where I can see the bottom if possible. I don't like swimming in gross. I mean, I swam in Manstreet as a kid all the time. Um, tubed and ran around there and sucked in a whole bunch of that water, which is not probably great for you, but it is what it is, right? Which damage is done. But as Man Creek, I don't love swimming at Man I don't love having the idea that there's just things under me that I can't see. Maybe you're the same, maybe not. Like if you, if you want me to go swim in the ocean, I'm going to tell you right now it's not going to happen, right? Um, Stacey and I were watching a video yesterday, and it's, it's like, it was like 30, vid- 30 different times where people have these amazing animal encounters. It's like people watching tigers fight, and, and there's a paddle border with an with a orca whale underneath them. I'm thinking to myself, nah, nah, nah. No, don't want to do that. No desire to do that. No. This, it's, a, it's like a drone, and this dude's just chilling on his paddleboard, and this whale's just swimming around him. I'm like, 
that thing could eat you like, no, what's wrong with you? Some people love that, so that's not for me. Think about in the ancient world, where they knew very little about deep water. And the Sea of Galilee, depending on who you believe, was somewhere between 140 to 160 feet deep. 140 today, it's probably deeper in antiquity. And for people with, who have no life, there's no such thing as a life preserver or a life vest, right? If you get stuck in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and you're outside of your boat, you're dead. There's, there's, no, like, there's no magic of, oh, I'm going to float around here for a while. Like Once you've exhausted yourself, once you're tired, you're done. And so it led people to believe that large bodies of water are where spirits were, were, were kept because of the chaotic nature of large bodies of water. And if you add that dimension into this story, what are some of those disciples on that boat thinking about Jesus? Not just the fact that he can calm nature, the physical side of it, but what else is he, what other statement is he making about this spiritual realm? I can, I can control the wind and the waves, but I, co- I also control the chaos of the deep. Whether it's physical or spiritual. And it isn't a coincidence that the next thing Jesus is going to do when he lands is deal with what? Some evil spirits, isn't he? It's not a quinky dink. Those don't, those don't exist with God, right? So think about all... The, that's why I get upset when we make this passage about Jesus calming the storms in our life. It's not that he doesn't, because he does, but this passage is not about that. It's about something far better and greater. Jesus is God, period. That's what it's about. That creation, the world that you and I can't control is controlled by him. And even the world that we can't see, the spiritual aspect of our world, is also controlled by him. And then you're going to get to see him Go to work next week. Controlling those evil spirits. So, Jesus calms storms. Yes, he absolutely can and will and does. But Jesus calms storms because he's God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come here today to gather to open up your word and continue in this series in the Gospels as we learn more about the life of Jesus. Father, what a powerful section of Scripture this is. That we know that you're there, that you care for us deeply, and that you will calm the storms of our lives when we reach out to you, when we call and cry out for your help. But Father, this passage is about something far greater, and we're thankful for the lesson that it teaches. That the person that we cry out to person we come to in our time of hopelessness, our time of despair, is sovereign over everything, can control the wind and the waves. What a powerful thing to think of, God, that we have a direct line of communication with you, and you are this powerful and mighty, that we can come to you in prayer whenever we desire to, that we can speak to our hearts to you and that you are so big and so wide and so great. It's awe-inspiring and it's humbling, God, for us to even think about it. So Father, would you help us to live in a way in which we show the world that this is true, that you are the way, that you are the truth, and you are 
life. That our life is truly and only found in you. Help us to make the realization that those disciples did on that boat that fateful evening as the wind and waves were tossing them about as they feared for their lives. You awoke and calmed the storm to teach them who you are. Help us to believe with every fiber of our being that you are who you say you are. That you're God. And that you hold this entire world in your hands. Father, it's easy to get hopeless sometimes because of what happens here on this earth. Help us to to rely wholly and completely on you because you are where our hope is found. So Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray all this in the powerful and holy name of your son Jesus and all God's people said. Amen. Oh.